John chapter 15, verses 1 to 25. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my, my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Uh, this whole second half of the gospel is set over a few days um, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for him to leave them, uh, which we'll sort of continue to think about. Um, but we're going to think a little bit today about what a fruitful life is. Uh, what is it that, you know, if someone asked you, what does a fruitful life for you look like? Uh, how would you respond to that? What would you answer? What would you say? For many people, uh, it, it may go something like this. Look, uh, uh, if I get a stable job, have a family, travel a bit, um, that would be a pretty fruitful life. Uh, others, it might be a bit more ambitious. 
Um, it would be make a name for yourself. Work your way up. Contribute something new and useful to the world. But what, what is it for you? What is it for you? If you were to kind of answer that question, what, a, what does a fruitful life for you look like? Um, we can get some idea of this probably by looking at our bank account or our diary. Uh, what we spend our time and our money on can just be a bit of an indicator of what, what kind of fruit we're hoping to produce in our lives. What is a fruitful life look like? Well, we're going to hear Jesus' answer to that question today. Uh, there are lots of different kinds of fruit that we can produce in working with the, the picture. And many of them carry their own kind of goodness about them, don't they? But Jesus is talking about a kind of fruit that's utterly unique. Uh, a fruit that is unlike any other. Um, as I mentioned, the whole, this whole um, uh, part of John's Gospel in John 15 is set in this part of the Gospel where Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he's not going to be with them anymore. Uh, we looked last, over the last couple of weeks at these two wonderful passages in John 14 uh, where he urges his disciples not to let their hearts be troubled even though he's going away. Uh, they cannot let their hearts be troubled because they have a glorious future guaranteed for them. They cannot let their hearts be troubled because they have the present reality of the Holy Spirit, God's own presence and power within us. That is all wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> But Jesus goes on. There's more to say here. And what Jesus does in this, as he moves into John 15 here, uh, is uh, he fills out this picture of what life with God is like after his death and resurrection, after he has left, uh, but has remained with his spirit with us. Uh, he fills this out and uses this picture of a vine with fruit. You might notice at the end of um, chapter 14, it says, Come now, let us leave. It may be that Jesus is saying all of this as he's walking through Jerusalem uh, on the way to the garden uh, where he ends up getting arrested. It may be that he notices a vine somewhere and sort of that's, that's speculation. But uh, it may be that this is something that Jesus says as he's walking through, uh, talking to his disciples. Uh, and he uses this image of a vine, and he, but, but he, he, he talks about this fruit as a totally unique kind of fruit. He calls it fruit that will last. And that's the thing about fruit, right? It doesn't last. Uh, it's not only milk that goes off. Um, uh, my most memorable run-in with off-fruit, uh, I can, could remember, was when I was in primary school, I left an orange in my bag all through the summer holidays, a hot... A hot summer in Tamworth, New South Wales, uh, and I distinctly remember getting the bag out the start of the next year and um, finding this smelly, you know, sort of disgusting ball of fur in the bottom of my bag. <laughs> I mean, fruit, that's the thing about fruit, though, right? It doesn't last. It doesn't last. <clears throat> and those, the thing about those, those other kinds, remember we kind of reflected on what sort of fruit you might want in your own life. There are many of those fruits that have a goodness of their own, but they don't last either. Um, security, financial security, any other kind of security, status, relationships, all, all can go in the blink of an eye. Um, ultimately, they'll all, won't they, they'll all be cut off um, by the, the kind of cold and hard reality of death. But Jesus is talking about fruit that will last. Fruit, he says, that brings glory to his Father. 
Well, that would be, that'd be great fruit to have, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, fruit that's unlike any other fruit that would last. But there is a problem for us with this fruit. And we're gonna, we'll see this as we read through. There's a problem for us because the key thing about it, and what we need to hear, actually, before we can hear what Jesus says rightly, we need to get this in place. The key thing about this fruit is that we can't produce it. We, we can't produce it ourselves. It's impossible. Uh, there is a kind of work that Jesus wants to do in our hearts as we hear this passage. Uh, it is a work um, that will cause us to despair of ourselves, actually. Uh, it will, we must give up our pride. Um, the first step to bearing this kind of fruit fruit that's going to last into eternity is to realise that you cannot bear it, not on your own, not drawing on your own resources, not by your own strength, not by working really hard for it, not by cleverly planning for it. This fruit is, a pu- is purely a gracious gift from your heavenly Father and it draws its life and its vitality and its sweetness not from you, but from the one who is your life, the one who is life himself, the one who has life in himself. Um, and so Jesus uses this powerful image to make it precisely this point. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruits. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's, what an incredible thing for Jesus to say. Uh, no one else in the history of the Bible ever says anything else like it. Abraham or Moses or Elijah or any of the other greats, they never said anything like this. As far as I can tell, no other major figure in history has made a claim like this that the only possibility for a fruitful life is to be connected to them like a branch is connected to its vine. You can't say that. I can't say that. Um, we, we, we cannot say that <laughs> for ourselves. Um, and we know that, right? Deep down, I think we know that. I've been reminded of that this week. Um, I found it in a pretty humbling sort of a way. Um, even for me, after, pro- after proclaiming Jesus' promise of an untroubled heart, finding all kinds of deep anxieties bubbling up, feeling myself running on empty for a while, and kind of needing to slow down and draw life from the vine. Um, what's hit me this week is that that's not an optional extra. It's not something, a nice thing to do if you can get it. I need Jesus. 
I need to remain in the vine, otherwise I've got nothing. And neither do you. But friends, that shouldn't surprise... Sorry. Wasn't expecting that. Um, That shouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise you either. It should surprise none of us because none of us have life in and of ourselves. None of us can give life to others. No one else is your source of life. Not me, not your spouse, not your friends, not your parents, not anyone else. All of us are life leeches. I hope that's a nice image for you to take away. Um, We all need life from outside of ourselves. That's true physically. Um, We need to eat and drink, otherwise we die. We, We can't create life in ourselves. It's true spiritually. And I need this today, and so do you. Friends, we're not playing games here. (laughs) Um, We're not here for a bit of light entertainment. You can go to the cinema for that. It'll be much funnier. Um, We're not here to push agendas. We're not here for a little bit of inspiration to take into our week to help us pursue our dreams. We are much more desperate than that. We are here for life. We are here to drink the living water that only Jesus gives. We're here to eat the bread of life that we cannot live without. We're here to feed on God's word to us. We're just branches who know that unless we're connected to Christ, we will die. We need to remain in him, in the vine, vitally connected to our only source of life and light and love. That's why we're here, friends. And we should note the the warning that Jesus gives here. Though Maybe that kind of stood out to you as we read through. Um, The father, this gardener, cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. The image here is of a branch that kind of appears to be connected to the vine, um, but it's only on the outside, okay? It's only appearances. Um, There's no real vital connection. Um, It's not drawing its life from the vine. It's actually dead and brittle inside, and it and it can't produce any fruits. And Jesus says that way has no future. Down in verse 6, those branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And we're right to kind of feel the discomfort of that. We're right to be shocked by that. And maybe if we see that in ourselves, it, it may be in his mercy that today God cuts through your pride, maybe for the first time, with this warning. So that you would come by faith to him and be grafted truly into the vine and receive his life. We need to hear that warning, but we also need to hear the real confidence and comfort that's here as well. Uh, Did you notice this vine is tended by God the Father, the good Father? Uh, He wants it to be vibrant and healthy and fruitful. It is to his glory that you are like that. If you are in Christ by faith, if you have come to put your trust in Jesus, then God himself is personally committed to making you abundantly fruitful. Um, 
that fruit is produced by our connection to Jesus. But do you also notice there the, the other bit that sort of slightly kind of jars with us, that God does this by pruning us? Verse 2. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he, he prunes. So that's kind of a, a more, you know, it's the, 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 the bigger pruning, I guess. Um, uh, another word for prunes, and it's probably, you've probably got this in a footnote in your Bible if you can see it. Another word for prune is clean, which comes up in another verse. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes. Um, but those who do bear fruit, sorry, he cuts off. Those who do bear fruit, he prunes. Um, a painful, lifelong process. Um, he, and he does it so that you would be more fruitful. You would be more fruitful. But then you get to verse 3. I don't know if you, that kind of was a bit confusing as we read through. You notice verse 3. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Uh, Jesus said something similar back in chapter 13. If you were here last year sometime, we looked at the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Um, and he says there that you are already clean. You don't need to wash the whole, thing, whole body, uh, just your feet. Uh, he uses that image as a kind of way of talking about um, how there is a one-off permanent cleansing that happens when we come to Jesus and we put our trust in him. Um, the penalty and guilt of all our sin is completely washed away. And yet there's this regular ongoing washing that we need as we keep coming under his word, as we keep being renewed and cleansed by it. It's the same thing, I think, going on here. If we are truly connected to Jesus by faith, then we are already clean in a deep and fundamental way. We, st we still need that ongoing pruning um, an ongoing cleaning but we are clean at our core because of Jesus word so there is good and that, that's, that's comforting isn't it um, and it's all from him down in verse 16 just flick your eye down there we didn't choose him he chose us and appointed us to bear good fruit to be these kind of healthy branches that bear lasting fruits. There is a, um, another great comfort here uh, in, these, in this first kind of part is the, the reality that this is all a one-way connection. Everything good flows from the vine to the branches and that can be humbling for us what, but it also means that in Jesus, in Jesus there is a never-ending an inexhaustible, always accessible source of life. Uh, he is the one who remains in us by his spirit and through his word. Well, um, this has all been pretty um, high-level stuff, pretty broad, a bit, uh, pretty general. Uh, bearing fruit and being pruned are images that are very powerful, but they might look different for each of us, depending on where we're at. But what Jesus does in the rest of this passage um, is he kind of narrows it down to two things. He narrows this down to a particular kind of fruit and a particular kind of pruning. A particular kind of fruit and a particular kind of fruit pruning. What does this fruit look like? 
Well, on one level, uh, the focus in the first eight verses is not on the fruit itself. It's on staying connected to the vine. A healthy branch just will produce fruit. It just will. It'll do it naturally. It'll be fruit that takes on the character and the nature of the vine. So we, I think we shouldn't hear this and think to ourselves, we've got to produce lots of fruit, so let's get on and do it. That would be kind of like a whole lot of branches trying to squeeze out some fruit on their own, if you can, like that have cut off from the vine. It's a bit ridiculous, right? Lack of fruitfulness is just a sign, a symptom of a deeper issue, a lack of connection to the vine. If you are connected to Jesus by faith, if you have realised your need and have come to him for grace, if you have entrusted your life to him as your Lord, and if you are drawing from him in his word, you will produce fruit. And that will look different for each of us. But what Jesus does in the next bit is he kind of narrows these verses, narrows the lens down. Whatever other fruit people bear, there's one fruit that Jesus sees as absolutely central. It is the fruit of loving one another. Loving one another. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. I don't think he's, this is talking about a kind of general love for all people, but the specific love that exists between the branches of this vine. Love for each other in the church, in in this church, of course, that love will spill over to the world, but that's not the kind of focal point of what's on view here. And do you notice the ordering? It's just so important. Just as he remains in us and he calls us to remain in him, so he has first loved us and he calls us to love one another. It is an overflowing love. Um, yeah, the, the picture there, um, not overflowing as in sort of sentimental and gushy, but overflowing as in, um, if you can picture a cup that is full uh, and you keep pouring into it and it flows out to everything around it. Hopefully not the table at dinner time. Too many chance opportunities for that. Um, but it's an overflowing love. It's a, a love that doesn't come from within ourselves. It's a love that comes from him but it's a love that is so inexhaustible, so never-ending, <laughs> that it can fill us up and flow out to other people. Um, verse 9 puts it like this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And you skip down to verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is how Jesus has loved us, with the greatest love imaginable. He has chosen us and called us his friends, even when we treated him as an enemy. He has given his life for us. And as his friends, he calls us into his father's business. He draws us into the way and the truth and the life. Um, this gospel, this wonderful news um, that we've been singing about all morning, this gospel 
is our source of love and what we need to keep coming back to. We need to keep remaining in. We live in the gospel. And Jesus expects it to flow out into lives of love for each other. Um, that's kind of a, the particular fruit that he has in his sights here. So friends, when you find it difficult to love each other, when, not if. Because uh, that will happen. Um, if you're not close enough to find each other difficult, then we're not close enough. <laughs> um, when you find it difficult to love each other, when you find yourself overly critical or prickly or easily offended, when you find yourself tempted to gossip or just be resentful, the answer is not to say, I've just got to love better. It's just a command. It's his command and I've just got to do it. That might produce some fruit, but it will not be fruit that will last. It will not be fruit that brings glory to the Father. The place to begin is not with yourself. The place to begin is to draw your life from the vine, to remain in his love. And then you will find that his commandments are sweet, not a chore or a burden. You will remember and give thanks for his undeserved love to you, a sinner who didn't deserve it, who deserves the opposite. You will remember that in all your relationships here. And that will produce lasting fruit. You'll begin to love others like you've been loved. You'll begin to love them not because you lack something and you want something from them, but because in Jesus you have a never-ending fountain of love that is always available. And that means that we can relate to each other in this completely unique way, right? Utterly unique. Um, I, I don't, we, you can't find this anywhere else. To relate to each other, not looking to get something, but simply looking to love one another because Christ has first filled us up with his love. That would be remarkable, right? A remarkable community to be a part of. That would be a light on a hill in a dark world. And that is the fruit that God will bring in those who remain in Jesus and who remain in his love. So before we kind of move on to the particular kind of pruning that Jesus talks about here, we need to reflect on this, don't we, in our own hearts? Um, we need to reflect whether we see within ourselves a fruitlessness in this area of loving God's people, of loving not just God's people in the abstract, but this family here, this local church, this this kind of little vine. Um, if that is you, if you see that in yourself and be honest, um, remember the gospel. Remember how deeply you are loved in a under, completely undeserved way. And then hear Jesus' command. His command, which is good and sweet and life-giving for those who have used to hear it that way. His command to love each other. To love 
each other here in this room. Um, perhaps just one thing that you could do, take it or leave it, but perhaps you could, you could start by making a habit each week as you drive here to church to pray and ask God to help you to show love even just to one other person in some kind of way. It wouldn't be too difficult a thing to do, but what a difference it might make if you came to church with that kind of disposition, that kind of overflowing, outward-looking, servant-hearted love. Well, this is the fruit Jesus sees as essential for those who are remaining in him. Um, we're going to... Um, the, the, the rest of the passage, though, takes a bit of a turn. Um, it's a bit of an abrupt change of tone. You might have noticed that as we read through um, from verse 18 onwards. Um, but you notice the same pattern. Notice the same pattern here. It's all, all through these three sections that I've put on your outlines, the same pattern all through. He has chosen us and re he remains in us and calls us to remain in him. He has loved us and calls us to love each other. And it's the same here. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He has come into this world that is in rebellion against him. And out of his great love, in order to save and forgive his people and give them eternal life, he took on the hatred of this world. Um, it says at the end there, they hated him without reason. If anyone in the history of the world had no reason to be hated, it was him. They hated him without reason, but he bore it out of obedience to his father so he could bring fulfillment to his great saving plan. And Jesus says, look, if that's how the world treats me, don't be surprised if it treats you the same way. And, and when, again, when, if, not if, when, not if, um, it can't be any other way. Um, opposition to the gospel, opposition to Jesus, um, persecution of God's people, hatred. Uh, when it comes to God's people, it has this kind of pruning effect. I think um, it works something like this. It, it kind of cuts away every, all the other things that you might be relying on. It makes it much harder to just be Christian by name only um, because it takes away all the other props and it forces the question on each of, each of us, is the gospel really true? Is it really true? When Christianity becomes culturally unacceptable um, or even opposed, then you, kind of all, you lose every other reason to be a part of it, basically. There's no social advantage. There's not the promise of a comfortable life. The only reason is to continue on is because by God's grace, the eyes of your heart have been opened to the truth of the gospel. And if it's true, then it's wonderful. And by his grace, we can weather any storm because Jesus has gone before us and that we are bound with him and our life is hidden in him. Um, I don't think we should seek out persecution. We should, um, Paul tells Timothy we should pray for our leaders and pray that we can live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. Um, but neither should we be anxious at the thought it might come. The Father is still tending his vine and it may be that opposition to Jesus' people, which uh, kind of does feel like or seem to be on a bit of a rise in the West, 
It, it may be, might it not, that that is something that God uses to produce a great harvest, much fruit in his people and through them in the world. Okay, well, we haven't touched on everything. Um, but it's such a rich image that Jesus uses here, isn't it? Um, he's preparing his disciples for him leaving them. He might be gone physically, but he's going to be with them. He will be with them by his spirit. He will be with them in as intimate and organic a way as a vine is with its branches. That is how close Jesus is with his disciples. And being connected to him by faith uh, will produce this kind of fruit. We'll need some pruning. We'll need some pruning for the rest of our lives. Um, but all of this, and this is what I just want to finish on, do you notice how Jesus says all of this is for our joy? Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I don't know if you think of Jesus as a joyful person, the most joyful person who's ever lived. Um, he has joy that he wants to give his people as they draw on him and as they produce the fruit that he desires, as they find their life and strength in him. And he wants his joy to come over into us and so that our joy might be complete. Let's pray for that, shall we? Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for this uh, record of Jesus' words as he faces his own death, as he prepares his disciples for him going. Um, Father, we thank you for um, the reality that Jesus is the true vine, uh, that he has life in and of himself. Lord, keep us from thinking we're the vine. Uh, keep us from that kind of arrogance. Help us always, Father, each of us, to keep coming back to you and uh, by your spirit, reminding ourselves of the gospel, um, living in it, soaking ourselves in your word uh, so that we might draw our life from the one who is truly life, who is true life, the true vine. Uh, Lord, we pray for your strength um, in the face of any opposition and we pray that that kind of pruning might produce good fruit in us. Uh, we pray that the kind of group, the good fruit that is particularly on focus here might increasingly be seen in our church family. That as you have loved us, so we would love one another. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.